It is so good to see you all here today, and we've got a good number present, and we appreciate that so very, very much. And we do have a number of people who are visiting, traveling, and we're grateful that you've come our way and have decided to have fellowship with us today in the worship of God. As we consider different ways that we need to be growing this year, different ways that we need to be maturing in Christ, Virtue is an essential component. And it's one of those components that is necessary if we're going to imitate God and imitate Christ. Now we have studied in the past months at different times things like the importance of fortifying faith. Or multiplying brotherly kindness. Or bolstering self-control. So we've touched on a number of different concepts Areas in our life that we need to be growing, that we need to be maturing in this year. But our spiritual growth, our maturity, would remain incomplete. It would fall short of God's glory if we did not cultivate virtue. Without the foundational character of virtue, we are not going to be all that we need to be. Now, the concept of virtue must not be understood simply by what men esteem to be virtuous. And so we don't need to simply define it by the world's terminology because men's values change. And they're changing constantly and they're changing even now. And so we would rather or we ought to be looking at this and thinking about this from the standpoint of the kind of virtue that originates with God. In 2 Peter, if you will, turn your New Testaments there. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read a few verses in just a moment. And what we have here is we have the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter exhorting and challenging Christians. All of those who are in the one faith, challenging them to practice such things, practice those things which assure you entrance into Christ's eternal kingdom. And one of those qualities that are essential if you're going to make it to heaven is virtue. And so let us read here in the second chapter of first, uh, second, excuse me, second epistle of Peter in the first chapter beginning in verse 3. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply virtue. And in your virtue, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, dictionary definitions are, are helpful when we're trying to understand words and, and understand concepts. But dictionary de definitions, that kind of resource, is not always very comprehensive. And I think, you know, these definitions illustrate that. For example, you've looked in a Webster dictionary, you find the English word for virtue is defined as a general excellence, right action and thinking, goodness and morality. And you have something very similar when you look in Vine's expository dictionary that defines Greek words. And so the Greek word arte, from which you know, we get our word virtue, is also defined whatever procures preeminent estimation for a person or thing, in, uh, intrinsic eminence, you know, moral goodness, virtue. Well, that's not very much of an expository explanation in my estimation. And, and perhaps, like me, that kind of leaves you scratching your head. Okay. You know, does that really tell me much about what virtue is? Well, it gives us some insight, but maybe not as in-depth of a, of a de definition. We'd like to try to understand the concept better. But the reason why is because it, this word arte is a word that is challenging for us to define in English. And so trying to pinpoint this trait is very evident when you find all the different words that are used in English versions for this word. And so you have the word virtue, but also some version will say moral excellence or just excellence by itself. But then they may have something like moral character or worthiness or simply goodness or praise. And so clearly it is a term that the dictionary is not going to really give you much depth of insight and understanding. But it is inter interesting to realize this about this word, this Greek word, that may be found in your Bible as virtue or moral ex excellence or praise, that this Greek word is only used four times in the New Testament. It is found only four times in the New Testament three of which are found in Peter's epistles, and one in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Those are the only four places that the word arte or virtue and, or some other rendering is found. And so we're going to focus on those four passages this morning. And two are found in the reading that we've already made here in 2 Peter chapter 1. But I think it's important to understand that, first of all, if we're going to understand the depth of this, this quality, this trait, this characteristic, is to realize that untainted virtue, untainted virtue is embedded in
in the divine character. Where are you going to find this true characteristic of arte, of virtue, of excellence, is first found in God. And that's brought out in our text this morning, in 2 Peter chapter 1. It's a beautiful passage if you sit down and just meditate on it. Because God, through His power, has provided everything that we need, He says. God, our Father, God, has provided everything we need for spiritual union with Him. God wants us to be in fellowship with Him. God wants to be able to walk with us and us walk with Him. And He says, by my power, I have given everything you need for that. I've given you everything that you need for the conduct that is consistent with my nature and reflective of my character. Now, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the source of all of those spiritual blessings. And so, therefore, it is through Jesus, the revelation of the knowledge of the Son of God, a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is that knowledge that will lead us, that will direct us as disciples to the consummation of this God-ordained fellowship that ultimately ends with eternal inheritance. And so you look here in the first couple of verses that we read. You see that His divine power has granted us everything for life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and virtue. God the Father and God the Son have called us. And He's called Christians by or through what? Through their glory, through their virtue. Now the means that He has done that, the avenue by which He has called us is through the gospel, through the revelation of the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ. And so the gospel is the avenue by which we are called to Christ. They were called to God and we were called to salvation. And that is clearly brought out in 2 Thess- Thessalonians chapter 2. Where Paul, in commending those brethren, reminds them that they were called by the gospel to this sanctification. But what I want you to just for a moment ponder is this fact that glory and virtue, these two concepts in verse 3, glory and virtue are uniquely peculiar to God Himself. He's called us, how? By His glory. He has called us, how? By His virtue. And so these divine attributes that are used to describe our God, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Father, are instrumental are necessary in drawing us, drawing good hearts to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ. It is through the glory and the virtue of God that we have been granted everything we need through a true knowledge so that we can receive all these spiritual blessings, all these amazing promises that are found in Jesus Christ. Now, once again, we get to the point, okay, how do you define terms? Well, you know, you know, the term glory is also a difficult one to describe, but generally it, it depicts the idea of the radiance of God Almighty, His majesty, His splendor. But what we need to understand is 
that radiance, that splendor, that majesty is absolute perfection. And so we talk about the glory of God. You talk about something that, you know, that reflects and illuminates absolute perfection. And one way to illustrate that is to, is to see that glory at work when you think about divine mercy and grace that offers salvation to sinners. Just that one point. The idea of the radiance, the majesty, the splendor of God, you know, where He saves sinners through His mercy and through His grace. But what we're focusing on this morning is this idea of virtue. Because it's essential to our character. If we're going to grow as Christians, mature as, as, as children of God, and we're going to assure our entrance, we're going to make certain, you know, we go through those pearly gates. One aspect that's necessary for us to cultivate, you know, along the way is this concept of virtue. But it's, it, but it's something that is in, embedded in the character of God. And so once again, you look at another definition. The idea of this outstanding, noteworthy endowment and, and quality. Once again, kind of, kind of general, but let's hone in on some of the things that Bi the Bible describes him as. And when you think about this idea of virtue being applied to our God, to our Creator, to our Father... <coughs> Particularly, you would think of his exalted holiness, the separateness of God. Now, 1 John 1, verse 5, simply says, God is light. God is light. He's not only the creator of physical light and energy. He is the very essence of light. And he goes on to say, and in him, there is no That's virtue. That is outstanding, noteworthy endowment and quality that's embedded in our God, in our Father, who has so loved us that He has offered us salvation because it's through His glory and His virtue that we receive mercy and grace. But you know, there's a number of, of other ways you can once again just thinking about this. This exalted nature of our God, you know, virtuous, a virtuous God, and we are to be we are to be imitators of Him. But you think about all the aspects of our Creator, and so you think about His excellence, His His absoluteness. Take, for example, His might and His power. You know, it is virtuous. Or you think about the selflessness or the love of God. It's virtuous. Just go down the line of all the attributes of God and all of those are quality endowments that are outstanding, that are excellent, perfected in its separateness, His purity, His justice, His mercy, His grace, His faithfulness and forbearance. Everything about God is untainted virtue. And through that virtue and through His glory, we, this is the point of, of, verse, uh, of second, uh, Peter chapter 1, through all of that, we, you and me, 
have become recipients of magnificent promises. We are recipients and partakers of something that is out of this world. That we are allowed the privilege, the gift, the blessing of walking in the nature of God. Of sharing in all of that goodness. So how do I need to understand the word virtue or this concept of virtue, you know, which is the Greek word arte? How should I, under, I need to understand it by looking at God. That's how I need to understand it. It's not simply a dictionary definition. It's something so much bigger. And it is, it is that quality that then, when you think about here in verse 5, when he says, okay... Now for this, this very reason, because of what he said in verse 3 and verse 4, because of those two things and everything that is just profoundly deep, he says, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply virtue or supply moral excellence. Every Christian whether we're young or whether we're not so young. Every Christian has the obligation to be actively exercising growth. Actively exercising spiritual maturity. And when we understand the magnitude and the majesty and the greatness and the outstanding nature of God, we understand that, then we do comprehend how, yes, that needs to be my goal. When I have an understanding of who God is, what God has done, what God has bestowed on us to make reconciliation possible, to make oneness accessible, to make fellowship possible, then I need to see myself as one who wants to, do, to be and do all that God is. And so with all the determination that we can muster as individuals... We must contribute alongside of what God has already done to redeem us. The idea here of applying all diligence or adding, you know, with adding diligently in your faith. This idea of applying it or adding to is the concept of alongside. Something has already been done for you. And now you and I need to do our part alongside that. And so what God has done to save sinners, what God has done to save you and me, to redeem us from the enslavement of our own sins, what God has done for us and all sinners supersedes what man must do by faith. You know, what we, what we are called to do doesn't even come close to what God has already done and is doing for us. But still... It is absolutely essential that a believer, that a disciple of Jesus Christ complies with God's will. That we so live, we so walk alongside of God. As he has extended and offered us these blessings in Christ, now we must do our part. And so we must zealously and earnestly strive every day 
to share in the characteristics of God, in the characteristics of deity. And that is the character of our Father, the character of our Lord, and the character of our Comforter. We need to do our best to grow, to mature. And one of the aspects of this growth is this concept of virtue that's embedded in the very nature of God of who he is. Yes, the life of a Christian begins with faith. The life of a Christian is maintained by faith. And so our faith must continue to be forth all of this effort that is befitting, that's befitting in growing in God-likeness. And that's what virtue is. Virtue is of God. It's not just something that you know, we esteem something here. We, you know, we define words in our English language. And well, that's, that's a very virtuous thing. No. The virtue of the New Testament, the virtue of the Holy Spirit that has revealed to us this sword is embedded in the very nature of God. And so therefore, we are called to steadfastly gird ourselves with the virtue. We are to, alongside with what God has done, we are to be adding diligence, supplying diligently virtue to our faith. And you think that should be understandable when we recognize we are born of God now. If I have been born of God, then I need to seek virtue in all that I do and say. That is, I need to seek that excellent quality that's embodied in my Father above. I need to excel in in that character or that example that is exemplified to us in the life that Jesus Christ lived. Those are the things that we need to be pursuing. Now, it is God's grace that has brought salvation to all men, and that grace instructs us, it instructs us to deny ungodliness. Titus 2, verse 12. The grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing salvation. And then we're told to do some things. One of the things we're told to do is deny ungodliness. And then he comes back and says, and live godly. Why is that? Because we are seeking to grow in virtue. Divine virtue is unblemished. And our blamelessness only comes through the grace and mercy of God. That's where our blamelessness is achieved. And so, you know, you're taking blemished lives and you're trying to transform them so they, alongside with God, are, are unblemished as well. And so, yeah, so where it talks about how we've escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And so we who have done that, we've called you know, by the gospel and answered the gospel call. He says, all right. What we need to do? Well, we need to empty ourselves. We need to empty you know, our, ourselves of ourselves, and we need to be filled with what? We need to be filled with virtue. We need to be filled with this excellence, this praiseworthiness that is God, that is Christ Jesus. And so, therefore, our behavior, our example, our conduct needs to reveal what? It needs to show people that we are of Christ and we're in Christ. That's simple. In Matthew chapter 5, 16, familiar passage, talking about how you're to let your light shine. Why is that? Because your God is light. 
and you're a child of God. Let your light shine. Why? So you can get all the credit? No. Let your light show, so shine before men that they see your good works. That goodness is going to grow out of virtue. So they see your good works and what? And glorify your, our Father who's in heaven. And so our behavior, our example, you know, that is to be good, you know, to all around us should be a reflection of the untainted virtue that we are cultivating, striving to achieve the best we can. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it talks about how, you know, we, in verse 11, that, okay, you know, we are to abstain from the lust that war against our soul. In verse 11 of 1 Peter chapter 2, but then he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. That word excellent is not our word our day. But, uh, but he says, keep your behavior excellent so that in the things which they slam you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds have they observed them glorify God in the day of visitation. It's another way of, of saying the same thing Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine. So they can see the light of your Father. And they can be enlightened by Him. And so, go back to you know, 2 Peter chapter 1. And so, okay, for this very reason, you know, add or supply with all diligence to your faith virtue, excellence. Well, how do we do that? I think one way we do that, it is not an all-consuming answer to the question, but one way to do that is, is how we direct our thoughts, how we direct our mind. This is one of those four passages I mentioned to you. In Philippians 4, verse 8, you know the verse when Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true and whatever is honorable... And whatever is right, whatever is pure, and whatever is lovely, and whatever is of good repute, if there is any virtue or any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. He goes on to say, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be. We all know that what fills our thoughts, what fills our mind and our hearts, what we choose to think about, we all know that that impacts us. And it impacts us immensely. And it, it's what directs our heart. So, if I meditate on ungodly traits, if I think about ungodly things, if, if that's what I direct my thoughts toward, what's going to be the result? What's going to be the product of that? Well, the product's going to be ungodliness. That's going to be the result. If I meditate and think on ungodly things, then what will overcome me is ungodliness. Well, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be denying ungodliness and living godly 
And to achieve that, I must direct my mind, I must direct my thoughts, my heart in that direction. A couple passages that you're familiar with. One is in Proverbs 23, verse 7, where it says, As he thinks in his heart, so is he. Very powerful and how true it is. Another way of saying, you know, addressing the same kind of concept is over in Matthew 6, also in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, verse 21, he said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember what Jesus said about what defiles you? He says, it's not the stuff that you take into your body, in the sense of what you eat. You know, that's not what defiles you. What defiles us is what comes out. What comes out of our hearts. And he expounds on that idea and says, that's where sin comes from. Sin, our sins, all come from our hearts. And we may not like to admit that and see that in ourselves, but that every time I sin, it came from my heart. And that heart was, I allowed my thoughts be directed in a certain way. And so in Philippians 4, 8, Paul, you know, Paul instructing the saints in Philippi says, one of the things you need to be doing, one of the things you need to be meditating, dwelling on is... You need to be toward these praiseworthy virtues. These things that are excellent. The very things that are embedded in God. So actions and words come from within us. From what we set our minds on. What we set our hearts on. And so therefore, Paul's saying, choose godly virtues. Choose godly virtues and be that. How do I become, how do I grow, you know, virtue in my life? Well, one way is by directing my mind to dwell on those things, on virtues that are of God. But then finally, in 1 Peter chapter 2 again, 1 Peter chapter 2 again, we are called as a people of God to sound forth his excellencies or his virtue. If you ever already read this morning there in the first epistle, let's just read verse 9. It says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. So that you are all of those things. Because the power of God has granted you everything for life and Godness through the true knowledge of Jesus. You are all of that because of what God has done, what God has made available, so that you, we, may proclaim the virtues of Him or the excellencies of Him who has called you, called us, out of darkness into is marvelous life. All people saved in Christ are a privileged people. We are a blessed people because we now belong to God. We are God's children by a spiritual adoption, a price that was paid by the only begotten. And so we are His workmanship. And we're His workmanship that has enabled us to exit darkness. You know, we have been called out of darkness. We have left darkness because of the power of God. And we have received this immeasurable mercy 
that we don't deserve. And because of that, we are his race, we are his priesthood, we are his nation, we are his possession. So that we will do what? So that we will proclaim, they will sound forth God's virtues. God's excellency. Some versions say God's praises. It's still the word arte. And very simply, when I think about that idea of sounding forth, of proclaiming this, the very practical aspect is what we need to do is we need to tell people about it, we need to talk about it, and we need to sing about it. About what? Well, we need to tell and talk and sing about our Father's and our Savior's virtuous character from which they have done great and marvelous things for our benefit. They have done all of this for our well-being. And that's what we need to tell people about. And that's what we need to talk about. And that's what we need to sing about. We need to sing and proclaim sound forth, you know, not only in song, but in, you know, but in other ways as well. We need to communicate God's virtues. The virtues of God that has called us out of darkness into His light. He's taken a people who were not his and made him his. People who were without mercy and now have been extended mercy. We have so much to talk about. We have so much to tell people about. And how good God really is. And he continues to do so. He continues to do amazing things as you think about it. As he continues to work on us and work in us and work through us where he is transforming us into vessels of honor. We are all works in progress. But it is through the power of God that has granted us everything we need. And he's done so by calling us through his glory and virtue. And he says, okay, now this is what you need to be working on. And one of those things, he says, it's virtue. You need to clothe yourself with the very nature of God. And you can. You truly can. Because God makes that possible. And so, yes, we, we have our work cut out for us. And we all do. And it's always been that way. You know, this year is really no year, in any year different than last year or the year before. Us trying to focus on the right things to grow in the right ways. But may we kind of renew our endeavor, renew our vigor and zeal to gird ourselves with those attributes that will assure us, we have the promise of God, that we can be assured of heaven. We have an anchor that is a sure anchor. It is a steadfast anchor. Why? Because Jesus has gone behind the veil. And he's there waiting for us to meet him one day. But in the meantime, what do we need to do? Well, we need to alongside with all that God has done for us, we need to be doing our part and being the people and becoming the people that we ought to be. A virtuous people that reflect the very nature of God in our day-to-day -day life. In the things we say at home, or in our work environment, or the things we do, 
when we're out in the community. All of that are opportunities for us to let the light of God to be seen and to see that he is a God of virtue and we are his vessels of virtue. Are you one of his children? Have you answered the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ by confessing your faith that Jesus is God's Son and repenting of your sins and being buried with Him in baptism? If not, we would encourage you to do that because God promises you that He will wash away your sins when you submit to His will. When you accept His word to be the truth and you humble your wills to His, God will cleanse you of all your sins he will make you his own child. He will add you to the body of Christ and the kingdom that will last forever. If you are a Christian and there is sin in your life that you've not repented of and you've not confessed to your father, if we can help you to make that right with God, we invite you as well. Make your wishes known as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.